Welcome to a really, really special episode of the B2B Community Builder Podcast. Today, we have a legend joining us. If you've ever listened to my podcast before, chances are at some point, category design comes up. And the godfather of category design is with us today. His name is Christopher Lockhead. He is a brilliant dude that is you know, a perfect example of why you have a podcast is so that you can meet your heroes and you can have these incredible relationships with people that before you thought you'd never be able to grow a relationship with. That being said, this is one of those episodes, I, I know that I cuss often on here, but this is this is a particularly foul-mouthed episode. So if you got kids in the car or anything like that, if you're really not into cuss words, I apologize. Uh, this is kind of Lockhead style. It's a little bit my style too. I call him the punk rock of entrepreneurship, but it is littered with wisdom. It's He went through a journey of having this discipline for 30 years. This was the work of his life, right? His life's work. And for 30 years, only 20% of people adopted it. And then he came out with Play Bigger, the book that turned me onto it, which completely changed the game. It's a top 1% book of all time. He's had the top podcast for business on Apple, which is Follow Your Different, which I'm addicted to as well. Highly recommend. And now he's got one of the top newsletters in the, in the world of business and marketing called Category Pirates. Again, highly recommend. All of this stuff will be linked. All I'm saying is he's an extraordinary dude, incredible wisdom. I'm incredibly grateful for this conversation, and I hope that you enjoy it as much as I did. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, in my walks, every man I meet is my superior in some way. And in that, I learn from him. This means people are at their best when they are surrounded by a community of others with complementary skill sets that can leverage each other for a greater goal. Welcome to the B2B Community Builder Podcast. I am your host and Chief Executive Connector, Pablo Gonzalez, and together, we are here to prove that community creation is a secret weapon when it comes to business development and growing incredible businesses. I'll be bringing you world-class pioneers in the fields of sales, marketing, and relationship building to teach you the latest cutting-edge plays for category design, demand generation, community management, networking, building influence, and leadership all the skills you'll need to unite clients, team members, and partners under one mission and build a community to propel your career or company to unthinkable results. Now, I don't have to tell you that I would love to hear from you and anything that you need to get a hold of me is in the show notes in whatever app you're listening to right now. So just buckle in if you believe in the power of community, if you believe that relationships are more valuable than transactions, if you're interested in learning the playbook of the most forward-thinking, most innovative, most emotionally intelligent business leaders out there today, all you got to do is hit that subscribe button right now, get ready for an awesome conversation, and let's get connected. If you've ever listened to this podcast before, you know that I'm obsessed with category design. The first time that 
this discipline hit my radar was reading the book Play Bigger in early 2020. It's a book co-authored by four good friends, Al Ramadan, Dave Peterson, Christopher Lockhead, and Kevin Maney. And from the moment I read that book, I felt that I found a tribe within marketing that made me feel like I finally belonged in a discipline that I was just reluctant to admit that I was a part of. And ever since then, my obsession and my, my seeking of doing it has grown and, and I've grown it the way that I do everything. I, I seek out as many people as I can to speak about it as often as possible. And as I've, I've grown in understanding it, it's become much more than a marketing discipline to me. It's become a, a lens through which I look at business, through which I look at communication, almost a framework for how I think. And within seeking this, I, I feel really fortunate that we live in a world where there is a direct line to the top of every mountain. And at the top of this mountain, there is uh, a guy that I feel weirdly connected to. He's somebody that speaks out for what he believes is true. And he does it unapologetically with a kind of addicting punk rockish, take it or leave it, I don't give a fuck attitude. He surfs. Everything he writes is brilliant. I, I've become increasingly weirdly obsessed by him. And I quote, he believes that when you make it to the top of the mountain, you throw down a fucking rope. So I'm joined today by none other than the godfather of category design, Christopher Lockhead. Chris, Christopher Lockhead, how do you want, how do you want me to call you, man? just uh, my wife calls me you fucker so whatever you like <laughs> <laughs> all right man <laughs> and by the way after that introduction there's there's nothing i can do now but suck like i just i'm going to be disappointing after that i'm betting on you to not be disappointing but i've i've i've, I've listened to you speak up plenty of times man so i think i think you'll be all right Thank you. And it is an honor to be here. I'm so stoked at what a contribution you've already made to the field of category design and so it really is my pleasure means a lot for me to say this. And I've, I've wanted to start this interview in a specific way in, in, with this one question I've been dying to ask you, which is, is it okay for one man to tell another man that he loves them at the beginning of a podcast interview before they meet? <laughs> yes, it is. I think I may have done it myself a few times. I've seen <laughs> and it. I love right, you cool. back. <laughs> Chris, what's, uh, what's on your mind these days, man? What are you, what are you, what are you caring about the most right now? Like that's uh, that you're preoccupied with. Wow, that's a big question. I'll tell you the probably the meta one that's been on my mind a lot lately, and that is that there's a massive societal transformation going on right now, and almost nobody's talking about it. And so maybe we could talk about it. And so here's the aha. Well, actually, let me tell you the story first. All right. So uh, you have you heard me tell the story about my buddy Paul and his kids? I'm not sure. Okay, good. So a little while ago, my buddy, Paul, who lives in the UK, comes to visit. And we live a couple blocks from the ocean. He comes with his wife and family. And I hadn't seen the kids since they were little ankle biters. And now they're shitty teenagers. So they come, they spend a couple of days with us here in Santa Cruz at the beach, having a good time. My wife being my wife, she's unbelievable. She puts together this whole dinner at the beach and drag down a wagon, set up a little fire barbecue some weenies and some s'mores and shit and watch the ocean and the sunset and it'll be awesome right so we go out and we do this we're having a great time well the teenagers are around 14 16 somewhere in there right in that sort of miserable teenager <laughs> i remember being one well um and you can imagine what the kids are doing they're on their phones checking their phone yeah yeah right and the adults are doing what we're doing, which is feeling the sand in our toes and looking at the ocean and the sunset and having a nice conversation. 
So me being the crazy uncle that I am, I'll say to the kids, hey, psst, there's this thing right here flipping and flopping on the sand. It's called the uh, Pacific Ocean. You might want to take a look at it. Glance up from their phones, take a picture, go back to their phones. And then I'll do the same thing about the sunset. Hey, check out the same thing. Anyway, so this goes on off and on all, all evening. Anyway, we end up having a wonderful time and that's that. The next morning I wake up and I have this aha. I went, oh, they're native digitals. The aha for me then, and it's stood or stayed with me since, is if you're under the age of about 35 right now, you're a native digital. That is to say, your primary life is your digital life. And your analog life is an adjunct, is a sidecar, is an additional experience to your real life, which is your digital life. And so for them, in a very real way, the sunset is interrupting their life. And it also begs the question, what's more real, the analog sunset that the analogs are viewing or the photo of the sunset? that the native digitals take and then share, which is, which is the real experience. So here's the aha. There's about 138 or so million Americans who are uh, baby boomers or their children, Gen X, about 138, somewhere around there. There's about 140 million Americans who are millennials and Gen Z. And the aha goes like this. The millennials and Gen Z are the first native digital generation. They're the first human beings to come of age who are interconnected with the machines and their primary experience of life is a digital experience of life. And those of us who are north of 35, certainly north of 40, our native analogs, our digital life which may be very robust and entertaining and, and, you know, a source of tremendous joy and happiness and success and ability to earn a living and so forth, like it is for us. But as, as robust a digital life as native analogs have, it's an adjunct. You and I would rather sit down for a beer together. That's great that we can sit down and have a beer over the internet. God bless the internet. You know, you're, you're in uh, Florida, are you not? Yeah, and, yeah I'm in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. Right. And I'm Californian. So, so God bless it. But most native analogs would choose being in person. Anyway, to get back to your question, here's the aha. Native digitals are a new category of human. So the difference between the native analogs and the native digitals are not just the normal mega generational differences. Their music sucks. Their culture sucks. Their, their heroes and actors and whatever, you know, all of that stuff. And you see, you see contempt on either side with OK Boomer, you know, and, 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 and there, there aren't very many Gen Xers, certainly, and a lot of baby boomers who are apt to have fun at the expense of the lazy millennial. And so that's all normal sort of stuff. This is not normal at all. This is a different category of human being a category of human being whose life primary life experience is 180 degree different than that of the two major generations that came before it. It's the first generation integrated with the machines. And that has profound implications for the way we live, work and play. 
And yet I don't hear a lot of people talking about it. I think it's fascinating, man. And I've, and I, and I have heard you tell that story, but I wanted to, I wanted to get into this and I wasn't sure. I didn't know it by Paul's kid. Right. But that being said, it's a massive, it's a massive shift of context that we're going to akin to the invention of the printing, the invention of the mirror, right? Like you hear about how like hygiene and stuff didn't happen until the mirror came out, right? Like people just didn't care about their teeth. They didn't care about their hair. They didn't care how dirty they were because they couldn't see themselves. Like, I think it's, I think- Some of us still don't care about our hair. (laughs) (laughs) I, I just see this as this massive context shift. And I, and I, I applaud you for getting there sooner than most people of your generation. And I wonder for me, I'm 40, right? So I've I've always, and I'm 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 the most American person in my family, and I've always seen the world as an outsider insider because I'm really good at connecting to people, but I've always just had this like chip on my shoulder of being an outsider. So I've always embraced this idea of being the oldest millennial and just buying all in on on what's happening. And I've I've, I've kind of been I've been on this tip for a little while, and I see the rest of the world has been rapidly accelerated via COVID, right? Like COVID accelerated a ton of things that were coming down the pipe anyways. How much do you think, how much do you think that COVID was an acceleration method of you coming to that realization versus if that moment just would have happened without a year of Zoom conferences and like how mu- how many friends you've made based on your podcast and stuff like that? Yeah. In terms of this insight, it had nothing to do with the pandemic or the acceleration that happened. And of course, I think there's, it's pretty obvious there's been a massive acceleration. And I think that's another profound thing that is not being talked about. The receptivity to the new, I would argue, has never been this way before in modern history. Uh, and there's this bullshit axiom we hear in business and in marketing and in entrepreneurship. Well, you know, people don't like change. They don't like change. Really? Well, in 1998, 10 out of 10 corporate CIOs said they would never put their data in somebody else's data center. Okay. They all do it today. It's called the cloud. 10 minutes ago, nobody knew what flax milk was, and now they can't keep it on the shelf. So people love change when you can explain to them why the change matters, why it makes a difference. People aren't stupid. If you show them a breakthrough that's exponential, they might be skeptical at first, but more people than not, We'll have an open mind, particularly if they see somebody else they know engaging in the idea or the product or the technology or the innovation or whatever the fuck it is. And so people are very, very open to change. The thing that's going on today is we have a new category of person. Humans were never this way before. Nobody committed suicide because of what somebody said to them on a computer 20 years ago. That wasn't a thing. That's a category of suicide now that comes from a new category of digital behavior called online bullying. When somebody online tells me to go fuck myself, which happens on a fairly regular basis, I normally laugh. I could give a fuck. Yet I'm a native analog. If you're native digital, somebody makes fun of you in your real life. There is no schoolyard anymore the way there used to be a schoolyard, right? That is the schoolyard. So this is very powerful. Now we have a meaningful percentage of marriages in this country and in many other countries for that matter that originate digitally. And if you're a native digital, 
there's a, approximately a 90 plus percent chance that's how you're going to meet your partner spouse. And so, you know, back when I was a kid, you had to have this thing called game, yeah. right? You have to, you had to summon your courage to walk across the dance floor, start talking to this, in my case, young lady that I wanted to talk to and hope that a, you weren't going to slobber on yourself or spit on her, b make an asshole of yourself or even worse, have her decide you're an asshole and send you back across the gymnasium. So everybody could see what happened. Right. And so you figured out quickly, you had to have some game. Well, today you have to have digital game. You have to know how to give good emoji. <laughs> if you want to get a companion, it's completely transformed. Here's the other one I love. So Google, Microsoft, Netflix, three of the most dominant category kings in the history of the digital world. Right. In the case of Google and Apple, two of the most the, the, the highest market cap companies in history. Okay, so what happens? Pandemic hits, bam, work from home, right? Mm -hmm. If you're a native digital, the idea of an office is fucking insane. You want me to go in? You mean go in, right? Yeah. And so here's what happens. Everybody works from home. And then the CEOs of Google, Microsoft, uh, Google, Netflix, and Apple all come out and say, hey, um, in one form or another, they all say, hey, to do the kind of really breakthrough shit we do around here requires being in person. Everybody back in the pool in September. And you know what happened, right? The employees said, I don't think so. And all three companies had to retreat after making very public statements in the Wall Street Journal about how productivity was required, you know, how work in person was required for productivity and innovation. And so what's my point? These companies are run by native analogs. And you must assume, I certainly assume that the native analogs who run Google, Netflix, and Apple are some of the smartest, most digitally savvy business leaders in history. Hard to argue against that. And yet, they did not understand that approximately half their employee base, if not now, soon, the idea of a physical office is insane to them. Today, in business today, there's a 62% chance you work for a millennial. Okay, so this is happening. People, people scoffed at that uh, crypto and Bitcoin. Well, to a native digital, physical money is insane. Why would you have physical money? Physical money is as stupid to a native digital as a Polaroid picture is. Uh, what do you mean print the photo? No. You just made stuff. We don't need printed shit. This is bullshit. The printing of a photo is a bug, not a feature for them. Hmm. So they're 180 degree different. And three of the CEOs of the most lauded digital companies in history don't understand that they have a new category of employee because they have a new category of human. All right, man, you're hitting on a bunch of fascinating stuff. I would love to, it goes right down the pipe of everything that I was hoping to talk to you about. The first thing that comes to mind is, do you think that there's going to be a category of sexual act called the emo job? <laughs> 
I don't know, but it, you know, I'd like to hear about it if it emerges. <laughs> I bet you would. All right, man. So two things I would love to hit on then. Number one is how you, how does one steward change through steward change through a massive breakthrough like you have done? And I'll, and I'm going to frame that. And then the other thing is like, let's play, I want to play this VC game that you talk about in category pirates with exactly this, right? Like with this new category of behavior from a new category of human and, and to go on the first point, I mean, it was probably about like two, three months ago that I'm sitting there, I'm on LinkedIn. I sent you a screenshot of you telling somebody to go fuck themselves. And I'm like, this is, this is entrepreneurial punk rock. I love this. And you, and you open up to me in a way that I was just like in shock showing my wife, like, look at this. When you told me that category design has been your life practice for 30 plus years. And for 30 plus years, you had a 20% convincing rate of people that believed what you're saying until Play Bigger came out. And until it became top 1% of books all time, your podcast hit number one, you're now this like, you know, I, I imagine you have other fanboys like me, which must be weird, but you know, whatever to each their own. And I would love to talk to you about how you were being successful throughout all this time, yet nobody listened to your methodology according to what you're saying and how you, you know, how you navigated that and how it changed, like how, you know, the, the impact of the book and how it came out. So I guess first I would love to, cause I think one of the things that I feel so connected to you by is that I've, I've been espousing some shit for the last seven, eight years about community creation being the future of business development and how it needs to happen and how it's been happening forever. And people don't understand how to tie it to their go-to-market strategy. And I think I know how, cause I've been doing it in multiple contexts. But how do you, you know, as you are, as you are having personal success and people aren't buying into your frameworks, where does your head go? Like, get, tell me, talk to me about your iterations of trying to explain this to people and how it finally clicked. I would love to hear about that. Well, cool. Thanks for asking. Um, so, yeah, I had about a 200% or, or two out of 10 batting average trying to land category design as a discipline, most of the time, what people thought they were doing was positioning or messaging or marketing. And they would sort of hear, we are going to create our own category. That's just a fancy way of saying messaging or something. That's where a lot of them would land. And, and, and they did not connect it to uh, the magic triangle. So designing a legendary company product and, and category. And they did not understand that when you take category design seriously, it impacts everything. It's not just a marketing wrapper. It's not a slogan. It's not a tagline. And we can talk about how it affects business model and channels and hiring and culture, et cetera, et cetera. And so that was very frustrating. It was also very frustrating to see people commit. It's a yes, we want to do the exponential. Yes, we want to do the breakthrough. Yes, we want to create our own category. Absolutely. And then they go through six months of work to figure all that stuff out. They launch it with an incredible lightning strike. And then a year later, they're back to calling themselves what they always called themselves. Because they go, well, nobody's, nobody's Googling carbodingulators. And we just told the world we're the world's first carbodingulator. There's no demand for carbodingulators. There's only demand for reconfibrillators. So what the fuck? We want to sell things people are buying. That's what they say. So this is too hard to create a category thing. And they retreat. And then, of course, as a matter of fact, boy, I'd love to say out loud who. 
There was a company we did this with about a decade ago now. And it turned out their fucking CEO was a nutless wonder. He did not execute on the vision of the category. And he reverted all the way back to a space that had a bazillion competitors and the category king in it. Anyway, we just had to chase his ass down to, we were doing a revaluation of our portfolio. So we had to chase his ass down to find out what the value of our stock is in the company. Guess what it's worth? Fucking zero. Fucking zero. Yeah. He's done four. He did two down rounds and then two flat rounds after that. This is a company that will get bought for uh, a pennies on the dollar, essentially, to get the engineering team. Yeah, because the CEO did not have the courage to do the different, to be a pioneer. So if I'm hearing you correctly, then they would buy in on the beginning piece. You could sell the beginning piece. It was the sticking power that that wasn't happening. And or That's or right. or was only 20% buying into the beginning piece, or was it like a hundred percent bought into the beginning, only 20% stuck to it? it you know, back when I was doing this stuff, 50% of the time after I talked to a CEO or an entrepreneur, they wanted to do it. Because yeah. I don't suck at talking and selling. The issue is, would they stick with it? Yeah. That was really the issue. And so what changed was the book came out. And, you know, we just had the five-year anniversary. And... It's funny, I had not thought, I know, I know that, you know, Pablo, this probably sounds insane, but I, I hadn't really thought about the impact of the book in my life. But I did on the five anniversary and I started to think about it. And here's what's true. My entire professional life is different since that book came out. It changed everything. Absolutely everything. The experience I get to have today professionally is 99% of the time, pure joy. Like it really, I have as close to the little bullshit in anything you might quote unquote call work as I could possibly ever conceive of being true. And so that's the gift. You know, this book made a giant difference in the world as measured by love notes we get from business leaders and entrepreneurs and marketers. You know, I just checked, Follow Your Different is downloaded in 190 countries. That's amazing. Now, by the way, a bunch of those countries have one download in them. So, you know, but still 190. And, you know, I don't know how many cop, how many languages play biggers now in, but, you know, many. It's a, it's a trippy thing the day they send you the Korean version of your book and shit like that. But uh, anyway, a long story, way longer. It changed everything because all of a sudden people who are willing to engage in the ideas of category design had a substantive piece of work with primary research examples and, and at least a framework for how you might do it all in one book. It's a very rare business book that's sort of a strategy book with some research in it that also has a how-to component to it. And, and you know, we got that done and it made a difference. And, and because of the scale of difference that Play Bigger and then Niche Down and now the podcast and newsletter and, you know, the whole fucking kit and caboodle it's just it's yeah it's an amazing thing to be able to make some kind of a difference at scale it's epic man so my you know i love that you just broke it down to framework research and how to right like that to me that to me seems like a very 
whatever piece of content you're making to establish whatever you're trying to prove, that seems like a good formula for adoption, right? I guess on a selfish level, how did you do the research in that book? Was it, did you commission a company to do this stuff? Was it just like years of you four guys, like reading stuff and compiling things and, 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 and putting it out there? Like, I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. So we were doing some primary research in our consulting firm to help us with our work with our clients. So there was that sort of bent. And then my partner, co-author and adopted brother, Al Ramadan, is, uh, you know, he's a data nerd. He's a, he's a scientist. He builds his own boats and shit, you know, and he writes software. And, and he's an incredible entrepreneur and CEO in his own right. But, you know, he's got that engineer. I never, never met a spreadsheet I didn't love kind of a guy, right? And so, so he was always poking around on stuff. And we started to get interested in things. So we started to do some research and we published a few of papers here and there. And then as we got to think about the book, we said, well, what are some things that we think we need to be able to really understand here? If we're going to even write this book, we wanted to test our theories from a data perspective before we even made the final commitment. And I can tell you what those big things we wanted to test were, but when the test results came back, we went fucking a, and that, that bolstered us to continue. So there's that piece. The second piece is if you're a business writer or creator of any kind, and you're not bringing some primary research and you're not bringing some, you know, and if you don't think framework's too heavy of a word, some new IP that helps provide a new lens on something. You know, if you look at what's going on today in the business content world, Pablo, most of it is regurgitation. And then a lot of it is opinion or experience-based, which is great. You know, if you want to write a business book that's about your career and things that you've learned, and, you know, my friend Sabrina Horn just wrote an incredible book called Make It, Don't Fake It. And it's that sort of a book. There's real value in those books. What we wanted to do was we weren't just telling a story or our narrative or our lives or careers. So it wasn't that kind of book the way with some insights that might help. You know, that's kind of what Sabrina's book is. We wanted a book that was going to introduce a new management discipline. And in order to do that, people needed to understand the economics of why it mattered. And then they needed to understand at least some of the base ways that companies that have done this well have done it. And so we tried to apply our specific experiences and synthesized what we knew about major companies that everybody's heard of. We've had friends that worked there. We've known lots of CEOs and all that to try to fuse together what we did sort of, if you will, very front lobe, very intentionally. And what others did that was pointed at the same result, but they did it more intuitively and less explicitly, if you know what I mean. Sure. What would you say was, I would love to know the trajectory of book sales in relation to your commitment to continually put out cross contextual content around it, right? Like you're, you're the one out of the four that's putting out podcasts. You got the newsletter, right? Like I, until this kid that I was, I mentor this kid in Bulgaria, Nikola, that I've been mentoring for like two years to have me on his podcast. And he's like, man, mentor me. And I've been doing it. And it was, it wasn't until he was like, oh yeah, Lockhead has a podcast, man. When I, when I started talking to him about play bigger that turned me onto it. And that's, rapidly elevated my 
obsession with it, my contextualization of it, right? Like all these different things. Category Pirates has been huge of expanding the category of category design, right? For me, you know, so is there any kind of tie-in to the the acceleration of adoption of the book and the proliferation of, of people understanding the category and you being on LinkedIn actively and Eddie and those guys to how much this has spread or did it, was the book already a home run success and you guys are now just putting out more content because it's, it's your life's work and you want to just continue to do it. Great question. So, so when the book came out, it was an immediate bestseller. So it did well out of the shoot. The average business book sells about 500 copies. So if you sell a thousand copies, you're doing relatively well. So 5,000 copies, you're on fire, right? So but we, and we'd done a bunch of promotion and all that. And so, and I think we got a, I would give ourselves like a B minus for the launch of Play Bigger. My next book's going to have a whole other different kind of launch, the Category Pirates book. We've learned a few things in the last five years. But anyway, so, you know, we did an okay job, but we're marketing guys, but not book marketing guys. And this whole digital world and all that, you know, we were not in it in any professional sense. Sure, we had Twitter handles or whatever, but we were not trying to achieve anything in the digital world, really, other than just be in it, you know? So we're sort of at a standing start. So, you know, it came out, it did well. I think everybody was pleased. A big thing, probably the, the thing that has made the biggest difference was the number of venture firms in Silicon Valley that did uh, bulk buys to support the book. We had had a lot of input from the entrepreneur and uh, venture community in Silicon Valley. And so there were VCs that did that. And there were entrepreneurs that did that. And for a while, there, there were a handful of top VCs in Silicon Valley that would have stacks of them in, um, you know, in somebody's office or sometimes even in the lobby. And they'd hand them out. I mean, I've gotten emails from entrepreneurs that say, hey, I was, you know, I met with XYZ from last week and I grabbed a copy of your book and I'm really digging it, you know. So, so that was a very sort of cool, organic thing that happened. I mean, we, we encouraged them. They knew the book was coming, but we had no idea they would do those kinds of things. So, so that was cool. But here's the truth. A lot of people in, in these situations you hear interviewed with these kinds of questions uh, want, want the world to believe, hey, man, Pablo, that fucking book was so fucking great. We just put it out there. And we've been smoking pot and drinking beer ever since. And it made it into the top 1% because it was so awesome. That's whether they say it as blatantly as that, that's sort of what they want you to hear. Like we didn't need to market our shit. It was just, our shit was so good. People just figured that shit out. Right. Well, does that happen? Sure. Every once in a while that happens. And every once in a while, somebody wins a lottery. And every once in a while, somebody gets hit by lightning and eaten by a shark. But the reality is, did we write a great book? Yeah, I think we wrote a really great book and we got busy and, you know, over 500 podcasts, guesting on over 200 podcasts, following, writing up a follow-up book niche down that did very well in, on, on, on its own, but really helped fuel play bigger as well. And, and yeah, keeping the, the ideas alive and mo most importantly, asking guys like you, like when somebody raises their hand and goes, Hey, I, I love this. And then you want to start blogging about it and posting videos about it. And, you know, John Ruggie starts doing his thing. And, you know, there's, I mean, there's thousands, I don't know what the number is, I'll tell you, but it might even be over 10,000 now on LinkedIn who call themselves category designer in their LinkedIn profile. Right. And so it's the biggest joy has been the fact that it became a management discipline. 
There are many other people working in it. There are many other people writing and contributing to it. There are many people selling courses about like, listen, next next week or the week after, I'm going to be doing a, a guest QA session for a business school class for 50 students at the Johannesburg Business School in Africa. Sick. Okay. Yeah. I get to do that now. So so that is fucking amazing. And and our hope with that is we will inspire more people to focus on to stop focusing on the incremental better and start focusing on the, incre- and the on the exponential different. Oof. That was a golden nugget right there. I'm going to have my team clip that and paste that across all my social media channels. So if you could just give this a pause right now, go into the show notes and connect with me on whatever platform you like to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever you want to be a part of my life in connect with me there. I'm going to share that clip and you can share it with your friends so that they get the same lesson. It'll be adding value to their life. And while you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to the show. If you haven't already hit five star review, right? You don't have to leave a review. You just got to hit five stars. If you want to leave a review, cool. And maybe send the episode to your friend. That would be awesome. That's it. I'm done. Back to the show. I love it, man. Are you going down to South Africa or are you, uh, is it digital? No, I'm doing this. Okay. All right. Just check, just check I, and see if like you're Bay or not, man. <laughs> I don't like to get on planes anymore. And, and that's actually got nothing to do with COVID. It's got to do with, I've traveled 6 million miles on a plane in my life. I really don't want to get on a fucking plane. I don't know my social security number. I do know my American Airlines uh, frequent flyer number. And I don't want to get on any more planes. <laughs> noted. Noted. Cool, man. Well, listen, to to put a button on on that on that part of the conversation, you do a really good job of stoking the stoking the flames, man. Like it, it, it really is, you know, there isn't a lot of there isn't a lot of people at the top of the mountain that feel the way that you do of throwing down the rope and and really highlighting it and you know making making one feel real special when they you know, tag you on something and, and congratulating him. And it's, it's a really, to me, it's obvious just from a human connection level of why intuitively it does well when it's guys like you and Al and those guys and, you know, really, really championing discipline. And I can tell you that just yesterday I had a call with a guy that's going to be on my podcast soon. And when you put out the Lockhead on Marketing episode talking about this thing of, you know, having a failure rate for 30 years of, of, of 80%, He's like, dude, I got goosebumps, right? Like the same, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. Just like I got goosebumps when you send it to me, but this idea of having the failure rate for so long and sticking to it and still being able to make this impact in the world that you've made, it's really, really inspiring to hear that you can, that that you can hold it at a 20% batting average and then still make it through. It really adds a lot to, to what I guess anybody that identifies with a message that wants to change the fucking world and isn't satisfied with the status quo and thinks it's all bullshit to compete with these assholes, you know, that are doing it wrong, right? Like, like you're doing it right, man. And I just, I, I want you to, I just wanted to acknowledge that right now before we move on to the next thing, man. Thank you, brother. Uh, it, look, it makes you crazy, right? When you see something that is so clear to you and when eight out of 10 times you explain it to somebody, they either don't get it, dismiss it, or reclassify it as something else that's clearly not as important as you think it is. And that happens for the better part of 30 fucking years. And you mentioned this briefly earlier. You're, in my case, you're using the discipline. You're, you, you've got a magic lightsaber. No one else can see it. 
you're slaying all kinds of bad guys with the lightsaber. They can't see it. It's an invisible lightsaber. And you go, hey, there's this fucking invisible lightsaber that I have here. And when you use it, it's kind of unfair. And they're like, uh-huh. And then you try to explain to them that it exists and how to use it. And eight out of 10 times, they don't get it, even though they just saw you slay all the bad guys. It, it, it's And so the thing that is crazier is not only that something owns you for 30 years that you can't get other people to get, but they can see the outcome of you using this thing and they still fucking can't get it. And so you either say I'm the world's worst communicator or, or I'm insane. You, you, you've found a whole fucking life like that character and Bruce Willis plays, you know, I see dead people your whole fucking life. Yeah. And so, yeah, when the book came out, that was it for me. It was like, well, okay, motherfuckers. I, I put all I got into those 320 pages or whatever it is. And I did it with these other really smart guys. And we think we did something special here. If you don't get it after that, well, fuck it. Hey, somebody bring me a, a beer, a whiskey and a token. <laughs> we'll just call it a day. <laughs> love it, man. I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing. I would love to VC game my, my, my invisible lightsaber. If you're up for it, you want to, do you want to frame what the VC game is apart from a brilliant category pirates post and, and what you call <laughs> why, the black why don't, arts why don't of, category design? I'd like to hear your frame on it. Oh man. Um, I, I see it as, I see it as a structured ideation and iteration four levels deep of kind of future pacing and idea and then the reverse engineering of it. I think it's brilliant. Thank you. And it's funny because it was one of those things that I've used since the late nineties. And I just, it, it didn't occur to me that I'd never written about it or talked about it. I just, anyway, so that is absolutely the idea. The other way I try to explain it to people is imagine if tomorrow in you read a press release, a post on your favorite uh, business media site, the wall street journal, something like that. And it's a story or a notice as you start reading it, the category that's being described and the company and the services or products that are being described in that new category that this new company is bringing forward, you read it and you go, Oh, fuck, fucking fuck. And then you have this feeling like, Oh, these people are going to crush us. Why didn't we fucking do that? God damn it. That's exactly what we should have done. Fuck. So imagine you have that experience. Go build that company. Do that. All right, let's do it. How, how do we start? All right. So what's the idea? The idea has a lot to do with what we talked about. We are, we are moving into this, into this digital world. And right now we're in this transition where as we transition through, there is still the idea that in-person connections and relationships and whatever, whatever I can do to, to, to make you feel good or you make me feel good or make you look good or you make me look good will always be able to be amplified via content. Right. Like, and as we transition more into this digital world, it'll just be all about how you, it'll all be on content. But for right now, there is a massive transition that's happening. And where I'm at, where I'm, where I'm damning the demand 
is the idea that, you know, community creation is going to be the only moat you can create around the rapid commoditization of demand and supply and, and, and churn, right? Like it, it, there's going to be a moment like right now I, I could tell you, man, that's a, that's a sweet guitar in the background. I'm going to get an ad for an electric guitar on my phone in about 20 minutes, right? Like in the near future, my pupil is going to dilate when it sees that thing. And my Google glass is going to offer it to me immediately. The same as when I tell somebody I fucking hate my boss, I'm going to get 10 job offers in my, in, in my earpiece immediately. Right? So you got to create community around whatever you're doing. And for right now, community is kind of seen as this content play, right? It's, it's like podcasts, it's forums, whatever. I'm damning the demand by the idea that if you have a internet talk show that is interactive with your clientele and you are having conversations with people your clientele give a shit about that can provide them a certain amount of value in that's tangential to the problem that you solve and you approach that internet talk show in a way where you are creating a relationship between you and the guest, you and the audience, guest and the audience, and the audience to each other, and repurpose and tactically distribute that content, then you've created a relationship flywheel, right? So that's the foundation of where we're at. And I think in the future, what's going to happen is that is just the way that that's going to be table stakes, right? Like that is going to be the idea that Right now, there are founder brands that are happening. Everybody wants access to like knowing who the founder is and what they believe and blah, 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 blah. The talk show is the most frictionless way of doing that at scale. Soon, it's going to be at every level of your company. They're going to want you to have a talk show about that. It's, it's the idea of press conferences instead of press releases, right? And then the tactical redistribution. And then if you reverse engineer that into just the basic concept of the super connector person that I take a I take a call with you, I find out what you're about, and then I introduce you to 10 people that I know that care about what you care about and or that's good. I think that somebody's going to invent the software that's one part Zoom slash virtual event, one part video, you know, video editing via text, one part social media manager, one part CRM. So you and I can have a conversation. And as soon as that conversation's over, I get a prompt that's like, Lockhead just said this and this and this. You talk to Johnny, Susie, Al, and Betty, and they said similar things that would care about this. Do you want to send them the video, the text, or the audio based on what their preferences of content consumption is? Or do you want to send Lockhead their video, text, or audio based on his preference of content consumption, right? So I can just frictionlessly introduce people via content in a, in a very easy way. And then it's going to say, oh, and on your social media... You have, you talk about this on Instagram, you talk about this on LinkedIn, you talk about this on Twitter. Do you want to put this text on Twitter, this video on Instagram, this picture on LinkedIn about it, right? So like frictionally distribute that and tie that in all the way through seamlessly with whatever, whatever corporate comp, you know, go from like a personal level of doing that to corporate comms level of doing that, right? So that's, that's where I'm at with it. I don't know if I vomited too much or if we can then take it multiple steps further or not. Wow, there's a ton there. What I hear you describing is the blurring, if I could call it that, of content, community, and kind of news and information aggregation. Is that, if, I, if we were to draw the, the, uh, the, the, the Venn diagram, are those the three bubbles or are there more bubbles or you tell yeah, me? Yeah, yeah. And I, and I would even just simplify community down to the, 
It's the blurring of interpersonal connection and connection via content, community in person and online, and yes, being a media machine, right? Like the idea that it's becoming more and more common to hear a company be like, you know, we're really a media company. We just happen to be selling this. Like that, that to me is clearly the future of where we're headed with that stuff. So if we think about it from the perspective of the VC game, what do we think is going to be true in five years that's not true today? I think the majority of businesses will see themselves, or if you've made it to a certain point, will have needed to create a community of super fans around them in order to survive. And I think the majority of businesses will see themselves as media machines as opposed to widget sellers. I don't yeah. know if that's five years. No, I, I think that it'll be interesting to see what percentage of companies get there. To me, everybody should be there now. Agreed. You know, like I, I say to people, not having a company without a podcast in 2021 is like a company without a website. Agreed. Like, oh, wow. Yeah, you need a podcast. You need probably a bunch. <laughs> yeah, agreed. I think every department should have its own talk show where- Anybody can show up and ask them about stuff and answer content at scale and then be able to redistribute it and have that inform their their entire go-to-market. It should inform their marketing, their sales, and their client success. So, and this is a very shortened version of this because I actually sure. want to jump to the category design because I think I got something for you. But what the VC game would be about would be then brainstorming out this scenario at detail. So, all essentially all of our assumptions about the future that we just are trying to get our arms around in this discussion, brainstorming them out in detail, listing out the way the company might look, how it might behave, how it might do business, what distribution channels it might use, what business models it might try, all of that stuff, and have a, a, a sort of a very fun but rigorous brainstorm. You know, one of the interesting things we had on two guys who are profs at the Berkeley School of Music who wrote this great fucking book called yeah. uh, Two Beats Ahead. Did you hear that one by chance? Yeah, yeah. I loved it. I loved it because I've been super into the idea of how to add music to regular content to make it much better. It was awesome. Yeah, go ahead. But anyway, one of the things they discovered in their book, they interviewed all these mega stars, right? One of them was Justin Timberlake. And one of the things they observed, his behavior and that he said was, when they're in the studio, they're just in pure creation mode. They're not in edit mode until it times until that time comes. And so the whole book, The Two Beats Ahead, was about trying to take the learnings from legendary musical artists and translate them into business innovation. And so the aha they share there is that in business, we go to edit mode very quickly. Somebody says an idea and they go, ah, well, yeah, we tried that one. No, 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 none of that. So anyway, my point, my point in sharing that mindset is when we're, when we, if we were to do the blowout of the discussion we just had over the course of a day or two, there's a lot of pie in, in the sky stuff. There's a lot of stupidity. That's what you want. The time for editing will come down the, down the line, but we want to be like Justin Timberlake in, in pure creation mode. And so essentially when we play the VC game, we're saying if we were going to create a company that was going to redesign the category away from the company we're currently employed by to a whole new thing and put us out of business, what would it be? And what I'm suggesting is as you do that exercise to really soak, to take the learnings from Two Beats Ahead, legendary book at amazon.com today, take the learnings and don't over edit. Anyway, I did want to get to something about your category design. 
please. I was thinking about this today. So you said community is the moat, right? I agree with that. And I was in a conversation earlier today about mass markets. And I've been thinking about this for a while. I don't think there's a such thing as a mass market anymore. There's no such thing. I think it went away actually quite a long time ago. And we have markets of one and micro markets. Anyway, were I you? So if you connect the dot, communities the moat, which I agree with. You know, I just bought a new mountain bike. It's a specialized. Well, it's a fucking Tesla mountain bike. Right? It's got sensors and shit on it, and it connects to their app, and it app tells you everything. Like it's unbelievable and maps the whole thing, of course. And just, I mean, it's fucking insane. You can share it with your other guys. You can upload it to Strava. I mean, it's unbelievable, right? But what are they building? Well, community, right? What else are they building? Data flywheel, right? Mm-hmm. Community's building the relationship. going to be hard for me to leave specialized. My last bike was actually a Santa Cruz. This one's a specialized. going to be hard for me to leave specialized because they're going to have all this data and all these connections, right? So, so anyway, Communities, the moat, data flywheel and relationship flywheel, if not the same thing, certainly deeply connected thing, right? Stay with me. So maybe, is there a point of view that goes, there are no mass markets. There are only communities. I love it. Yeah. 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 That's all there is. All there is is community. And and the tagline of the POV might very well be the community is the business. Yeah. I'm into it, man. I, so where I'm at right now with it, I, I wholeheartedly believe in that POV. And I'm in that, I'm in that weird stretch where it's like I'm evangelizing it. I, you know, 50, like you said, 50%, 70% of people I talk to is like fucking brilliant. And then a very small percentage of people are just like, all right, let's go. And, and I've been getting a lot better at positioning it in a certain way. Um, what do you call it? What are the exact words you, what do you call it? What do I call what? What you do, community what? You know, I've really niched down into, because I'm trying to damn demand right now, right? Like I think I'm at Netflix when I'm mailing DVDs right now, right? I've I've niched down into fuck a podcast internet talk show podcast is inefficient bro right like you the podcast is a is a it's a great conversation it's a great abm move but you don't get all these ancillary benefits of immediate feedback and press conferences and being able to combine all these different things into community right like with the internet talk show it fits neatly into every part of the the go to market right uh, as opposed to podcast fits into marketing so you're trying to market a category called internet talk show internet talk show yeah, so that's that's where I'm at right now, and then headed towards relationship-driven growth, which is anything that combines the in-person with online content creation. So as the world opens up, I'm getting hired for conferences to do activations, but my my spin on the activation is everything we're doing in the conference experience is reverse engineered in a way where the person that took part of the experience is going to be able to get a one and a half to two minute sizzle reel of them looking like a fucking genius at a really cool place where they met somebody special and they're on par with them at that moment. But what you're selling, the thing you're selling me is an internet talk show. That's what I buy. That's the first product right now. Yeah. 
So I think it's clear. You have to develop a point of view about internet talk show. I think all that stuff about community and relationships and all that shit. I was completely confused about what you were doing. Yeah. So, so you have to say we're a pioneer in internet talk shows. And then you have to roll a POV. Yep. That frames a problem. Here, here's where I would use the ABT. You remember my friend Park Howell? Yeah. The and button, therefore. Mm-hmm. So, hi, I'm Pablo. What's, what's the, remind me of the name of the company? My company, Be the Stage. Be to stage. Be the stage. So, be it's like, don't stage. be the star of the stage, just be the stage yourself. Be the stage itself. So, be the stage. We specialize in internet talk shows. Now, most people want to blah, 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 and yada, yada. But, therefore, ta-da, internet talk show. (laughs) Yeah, this is fucking it, man. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I had gotten away from that framework before I forgot, before I simplified it into internet talk show. And now now I think I can do it, right? Like, companies want to create massive content and build a community, but they don't have the resources to devote to each of them separately. Therefore, if you apply an internet, therefore you need a efficient way to feed both with one play. And that's the internet talk show. I got it for you. But most people don't know where to start. Mm. So fuck yeah, I want to do more content marketing and community and gee, but that's, that's, that feels like flying to Mars. Where do I fucking start? Here's what you do. You start simply and powerfully with the highest ROI thing you can do, which is an internet talk show, as you know. Then you roll the ABT on them. And, and the ABT answers the question, if you, want, if, you, if you want to have a breakthrough in content and community marketing, start with a very specific thing. The first bowling pin is an internet talk show. Here's why. I feel like I'm cheating, dude. This is unfair. This is fucking amazing. That was really cool. That, well, when yeah. you've been doing something 30 years, you should be able to break it yeah. down. <laughs> yeah, you're not bad at it. Listen, man, I wanted to save a little bit of time because I really want to, I really want to get involved in justice deposits. And as I and I, I live in a small market, right? I'm in Jacksonville. So Bank United doesn't have a doesn't have a branch here, but I have to assume they don't have one in Santa Cruz. So I would love to give you, you know, kind of the the stage to talk about how you set up your business to do bank with bank United with, with one United, given that it, unless they actually have a branch in Santa Cruz or whatever, man, but I'm sure that I could do it too. I just can't get over the mental fuck. Of- no, no, we just, we just did it all over the internet. There's this thing called the internet. We did banking on it today. <laughs> Never heard of it. <laughs> and of course you can use a bank America ATM card to, to extract cash out of your one United bank ca- uh, cash account. If you want to, if you want physical cash. So, so uh, yeah, I mean, in our case, we opened a couple accounts with One United from here in Santa Cruz over the internet, transferred some money, and started doing business with them. It was that simple. And you're able to do business banking, like you can take like online meetings for line of credit or whatever with them. You can transfer your money, no problem. Do you want to talk about what justice deposits are, so that it's not just you and me talking yeah, to our so, friend that's so, listening? Yeah, I mean, I don't know every black bank, but yeah. in the case of One United, who's, who I believe is still the largest. Uh, and then there's best I know somewhere around 20 left. And if you just Google best black black owned banks, 
you'll you'll see lots of lists out there. And, and yeah, most of those banks provide the exact same service of any other bank with one big difference. They do business with people of color. Because time and time again, as a matter of fact, Jamie Dimon, chairman of J.P. Morgan Chase, has come out and said the financial system in the United States is racist. Time and time, the studies show us the same things. Black people have a hard time getting more, more, more of a hard time for people of equal income, have a harder time getting loans, pay higher interest rates, pay higher interest rates on credit cards. These things are disgusting. I get less small business loans, pay higher interest on small business loans, and on and on and on. Wells Fargo has been found guilty of this multiple times and fine. It's disgusting. By the way, nobody there ever went to jail for it, but I digress. So that's the first thing, which is that people of color get screwed over in the financial system in this country. And I don't have the exact number in front of me, but I think it's in the high 60%, 68%, 67%, something like that, of the loans written by black banks are to people of color. No fucking surprise. And so, so here's the aha. Loans are dreams. Loans do things like help people buy houses and go to school and start businesses and maybe down their credit card debt and pay a more reasonable uh, interest rate so that they can have a shot at getting out of debt. Of course, allows uh, a way to start saving and investing and learning about various products for building wealth over time, generational. And so these things all matter. And it turns out, my friends of color tell me that in many cases, they don't feel welcome at a white bank. And they sure as fuck don't feel welcome. These are my words now. I don't feel welcome at Wells Fargo, so they should go fuck themselves. And so, so my point is this, when we make a deposit into a black bank, we increase their ability to make loans because there's a direct relationship between deposits and loans. And when the reality is the range of services you can get at a black bank are comparable and in some cases better, than the range of services you would get at a more traditional bank, why not at least do some business with a black bank? Because if we want to create equal opportunity for everyone, access to capital, equal access to capital, okay? And all you have to do is look at the data to understand there has been far from equality around access to capital in this fucking country. And it's about time, I think, and my, my co-authors with me, two of whom are pastors and one of whom is my uh, brother from another mother, mother, Eddie Yoon, we think enough's fucking enough. And that people in, in a position to make a difference should. And so we're encouraging everybody to consider making a justice deposit. It's that, that justice deposit, that is to say, open an account at a black bank and do some business with them. And there have been incredible companies who have led the way on this. Netflix has done this and Costco has done this and Twitter has done this. And it's, a, it's an extraordinary thing that they've done. I mean, they've made a massive difference, these companies, by moving a relatively small percentage of their cash into some of these banks. And so we can all do that. If everybody put 10% of their cash deposits in a Black-owned bank, we would change the economic equality opportunity in this country for the rest of time. And so we're trying to get, it's a big number, we're trying to get $140 billion moved into Black-owned banks in the next few years, because if we do that, 
then then access to real opportunity is going to change. Let's go. All right, man. I'm in. Sorry. So that's just get out of my own head. Book a book a meeting online. Transfer my shit electronically and shut the fuck up. Right. <laughs> just not that hard. <laughs> Deal, man. You got yourself a goddamn deal. This has been amazing, man. You know, they say don't meet your heroes, but this has been totally, totally a, a, an over-deliver moment for me, man. I really appreciate you making this time. As I have told you via many a LinkedIn message, anything that you espouse, I buy. So, you know, be responsible with my wallet however you want. But the moment that you guys have an <laughs> event or something in Santa, like I'm dying to go surfing with you in Santa Cruz. Like I, that would be amazing. But thank you, man. I really, I really, really appreciate your time. And I, I really appreciate the, um, the archetype of the punk rock entrepreneur, man. I'm just really into it. So you're killing it. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, thanks. It's been my pleasure. And you know, this, this speaks to the native analog, native digital thing, right? Those of us who are native analog, who are willing to engage you and I have never met in person. Right, I felt like right. I knew you already. And the, the reality is you knew me and I knew you. Yeah. We did. We knew each other. Yeah, totally. So thank you for having me on. Appreciate it, man. All right, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed that conversation and you got a bunch of value out of it. And if you did, it would mean the world to me if you reached out to our guest and let them know what you learned, what you thought about it. Everything that you need to connect with them is going to be in the show notes. And on top of that, why don't you double up and reach out to me? I'd love to hear from you. It really is why I do this is so that I can meet awesome people. I would love to hear from anybody that you think should be on this podcast, including yourself, about how you build world-class relationships, how you create community, how you lead companies in this relationships over transactions methodology. And if you believe in that stuff, that is what we're doing at my company, Be The Stage. You can check it out at bethestage.live. But the Cliff Notes version is, we've learned that most companies know that they need to be making content and they know that they really want to drive a community. But where do you start with that stuff? The best way to start doing that is to create an internet talk show because it allows you to create a strategic relationship with a guest one-to-one while you create strategic relationships with the audience, one to few, and then when we repurpose the show for you and spread it out all over social media, you're creating relationships one to many. It is the ultimate relationship-driven growth engine to feed your entire pipeline, marketing team, and customer success. What companies call their go-to-market strategy can now be driven by community. If you're interested in that, go to bethestage.live, check it out, reach out to me. I would love to create an internet talk show just for you. Now, if you'll indulge me, I'm going to take a play out of the book of one of my heroes, Christopher Lockhead, the godfather of category design, co-author of my favorite business book, Play Bigger, and my favorite newsletter, Category Pirates, which I'm going to link in the show notes because I think you should subscribe. It's the smartest thing basically in the world. Anyways, at the end of his podcast, which is Follow Your Different, he always shouts out and gives a roll call to people that he thanks. And I want to do that too. I want to thank my team at Be The Stage. I want to thank JP, who is the editor of this content, the guy that makes all the cool micro content and makes everything look cool. 
Joanna, who distributes a lot of the stuff. She writes a lot of the descriptions. Nicola, who is uh, my buddy that I've been mentoring for a couple of years out of Bulgaria, a really bright 15-year-old kid that writes a lot of the captions on social media. Marge, who is always keeping track of everything. She is the executive assistant of the dreams that all come true. Gina, who is a world-class integrator. She is our COO. She is the one that is just making all the processes happen. Whenever I say something, she designs a way to make it happen. It's incredible. My business partner, Isar, who without him, none of this stuff could be possible. That guy is the best. He's got an awesome podcast. It's called the Business Growth Accelerator. You should totally check that out. I want to thank my parents. They're my inspiration. They're the best. My family. I love them to pieces. My wife, Marta, who is my muse and my inspiration for everything. If you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, go do it now. But before you do that, if you haven't checked out either episode seven or episode 69, those are my 2019 and 2020 last call tracks where I give this like rapping, talking, motivational speech over like a really cool beat. It's actually the beat that I have on this podcast right now that I had custom produced by my guy, Michael, out of Russia, who's a sick beat producer. Check that stuff out. That is the origin story of my business, the origin story of what I'm up to, and it's really what I am most proud of. Episode 7, episode 69 of this podcast. Hope to see you on the next one. Hit me up on social media. I love you. Don't forget, relationships over transactions, that is the way that you win. It's a long game. Human beings are happiest when they're in service, so serve others and you will be able to open any door that you've ever wanted. Never forget that. If you don't know how to serve others, everybody needs an extra cheerleader, cheer for people, be invested in their future, see what you can do for them. It all comes back in the long run. I really hope you reach out to me. I want to meet you. I want to talk to you. I want to help you achieve your dreams. Have an awesome, awesome, awesome rest of your day.